God is and has truth, and the world around us desperately needs that truth. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. How many of you have ever in your life wondered whether it really mattered to God? The event in your life, the circumstance, whatever it is. How many of us in here could honestly say at some point this thought has passed through your mind? I'm not even sure that God cares. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looked upon the people and declared that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, not many of us today raise sheep, so the meaning of that statement might not be as clear to us as it was to the people living in ancient Palestine. But a sheep without a shepherd was almost completely helpless. A sheep without a shepherd was in big trouble. Mark chapter 6, verse 34, and when he went ashore, this is just before he feeds the 5,000, before he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and he felt compassion for them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. God cares, ladies and gentlemen, he really does. The question is, do I? I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Matthew chapter 9 tells us a lot about our need for Jesus, but it also tells us a lot about God's heart. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he was going here and there meeting the needs of people. There were plenty of obstacles along the way, but because of his compassion, the Lord would not let anything keep him from caring. Do we have that same compassion for others that Jesus displayed? world around us is hurting and needs the love of God more than anything else. Well, today, Pastor Clay is going to take us through Matthew chapter 9 to learn from Jesus what it really means to care. Matthew chapter 9, the entire chapter. It's a little lengthy, but it's really important because I want you to hear. Now, understand as I'm reading this, you, you can kind of tell that this, this transpires over more than one day. Almost certainly this transpires over more than one day. But it just reads like it's just bam, 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 bam. Just one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing that Jesus is involved in. You could almost get the idea, man, that, that was one busy day. It was probably more than a day, but I think you'll get the point. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1 this morning. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. That would be Nazareth. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Get up and walk. But, So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. Verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Uh Uh-oh. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciple, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
Verse 14, then the disciples of John came to him asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskin bursts, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. Verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I'll get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, it was part of the burial process, the grieving process then, verse 24, he said, Leave, for the girl is not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. This news spread throughout the land. Verse 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. And as they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds were amazed and were saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, He casts out the demons by the ruler of demons. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Here's why, verse 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. A lot going on in Matthew chapter 9, isn't there? A lot of stuff happening. And, and listen, we could, we could spend six weeks probably on each one of those particular portions of Scripture, each particular vignette or, or story, event that happens. Boy, we could, we could just camp right on that and, and there's all kinds of stuff that we could bring out and perhaps we will sometime, but not today. Today I want to talk about just the overarching idea of Matthew chapter 9. And what, what jumps off the pages to me over and over and over and over again is that God cares. Man, it, it really matters to Him. The state that people are in, physically, spiritually, emotionally, it really, really does matter 
to God. How many of you have ever in your life wondered whether it really mattered to God? So the event in your life, the, the circumstance, the, uh, the, the, the whatever it is. How many of us in here could honestly say at some point in your life this thought has passed through your mind? I, I, I don't, I'm not even sure that God cares. I, I could do that. God, or, hello, do you even know about this? Now, Matthew chapter 9 says to me that God does care. Some of those verses that we read a moment ago, I, I want you to see verse 13 again. I want you to see it in the message, what's called the message translation. Now, the message takes some liberties with the text sometimes, but I, but I love the way, way it says this in verse 13. It says, it, it, says, it says, go figure out that he's getting on to the, to the religious leaders, right? The scribes, the Pharisees, the, 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 that whole bunch. And he says, go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy or has compassion, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. We'll talk more about them in a moment. In verse 36, shows up again. And seeing the multitudes, he felt, say that word with me, please, compassion for them because they were distressed and get downcast like sheep without a shepherd. If you were here last week, you remember our brother Ralph taught us about the, the danger, the 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 severity of the situation when a sheep is lost without its shepherd. And Jesus looks on the, on the, on the multitude of people and he says, Man, they're like sheep without a, without a shepherd. They're desperate. In, uh, in Mark chapter 6, there's a, a totally different situation, but al- almost the exact same reaction from Jesus. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. And when he went ashore, this is just before he feeds the 5,000. Before he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and he felt, say that word with me please, compassion. For them. Why? Because they were sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. God cares, ladies and gentlemen. He really does. The question is, do I? Which brings me to the big picture biblical principle today from Matthew chapter 9. And it's simply this. If you'd like to fill in blanks on your outline, feel free to do so. The call of compassion. It's what I call the call of compassion. God cares. Do I? Matthew chapter 9, one of the things that, that uh, really comes out to me is that there's just this flurry of activity. Like I said, it, it would re- I mean, it's like boom, 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 boom. There's just a lot of stuff happening all at, at one time. And, and one of the things that I see in this is that despite whatever was going on or whatever was happening, Jesus was not going to let anything keep him from caring about people. Jesus was not going to let anything, any person, any, any group of persons, any circumstance or situation, he was not going to let anything keep him or stop him from caring and reaching out and ministering to people. And I, wanna, I just want to raise uh, just a few Things that might have tried to get in his way that day. And I raise these because I see them in the text, but also because I think they are things that keep us from caring sometimes. Because if we take a poll right now, if I ask you, how many of you care about the people around you? How, about, how many of you care about the hurting? How many care about those without a relationship uh, with the living God? How many of you uh, give a rip about any of it? I, I think almost everybody's hand would go up. But there are things that sometimes keep us from acting upon what we care about. Here's just a few ideas. His critics couldn't stop him. And, and we see the critics again. They show up again. But in verses, in verses 1 through 8, there's, there's this situation where uh, they bring this paralyzed guy to Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He has the power to do that. He's God in the flesh. He's going to make the sacrifice for this man just as he made the sacrifice for all of us. But the, uh, the religious bunch, they, 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 don't, they don't like that. This guy's blaspheming. Who does he think he is? 
Now, can I tell you this? It seems like it'd be hard to believe that somebody would be complaining about somebody trying to do somebody some good. I mean, all he's trying to do is, is make this guy where he can get up and walk. It seems like it'd be hard to believe that somebody would actually complain about that. But, but it's true. It did. Jesus is not going to let his critics stop. And I just want to say, you don't, don't let your critics stop you. They'll always be, you know, a lot of times it's your family. They might say, you know, are you, are you, are you really going to go and do that? Or are you really going to go to the other side of the world and do this? Or are you really going to give to this? Are you really going to, you know, people at work sometimes like, oh, man, are you? Don't, don't let that stuff stop you from caring about people. His critic couldn't stop him. Here's another one. His comfort couldn't stop him. Verse 9, um, this story picks up. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Now, this is the Matthew who, whose name is attributed to this book. He's the writer of, of the book of Matthew. Matthew became one of the disciples of Jesus. This is his call. Matthew is a tax collector. Now, most of us don't like tax collectors today. <laughs> they sure didn't like tax collectors in Jesus' day, because tax collectors then uh, basically made their living and much more than that off of whatever they decided. The Roman government had an expectation. Let's say the government said, we want you to collect uh, 8% of, of whatever it is they earn from their livelihood. We want you to collect 8%. Well, a tax collector then would basically decide how much he wanted to charge on top of that. And the Roman government allowed him to do that. You've you got to pay 15% or 20% or 32% or whatever it was. Hey, they decided. They exploited the people. They got rich on the backs of the people and their hard work while they struggled. They had people thrown in jail if they didn't pay. Now here comes Jesus, and he picks one of these guys out. He says, come on, follow me. And, of course, Matthew, he gets up, and, and he follows him. And so what happens is, notice that it says in verse, uh, verse 10, Then it happened as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house. More than likely, a reference to Matthew's house. Matthew probably invited him to come to his house for dinner. Now, he's, he's, he's following Jesus, and Jesus, I'd be honored if you'd come and, and share a meal with me. Well, guess who Matthew knows? <laughs> That's the only crowd he knows. Is the tax collectors and sinners. That's the only bunch he even knows. So, they all come over for dinner. Now, let me say this. In some ways, Jesus was probably much more comfortable with that crowd than he was with the religious fakes. I, I'm quite sure of that. But at the same time, remember, this, the, these people were hated, the, these tax collectors. For the most part, they were hated. They exploited the people. They exploited their, uh, their situations. They got rich. They didn't just make a living. They got rich off of the people. And, and there's this reference to the sinners. It, it may just mean the party crowd. It, it may uh, refer to uh, uh, drunkards or there, there may have been prostitutes may have been part of this. I don't know what all it is. But, but it's, it's a pretty, well, let's put it this way. It's it's pretty certain that this wasn't the bunch that's going to show up on Sunday for church, <laughs> okay, more than likely. They're, 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 not, they're not part of what you call the righteous crowd. Can, but, but can I just remind you this? Jesus is never afraid to step out of what might, you might consider his comfort zone and into their world and meeting them where they are. I, I, I was thinking um, of the movie Blindside. How many of you seen the movie Blindside? If, you're, if you go to movies, it's uh, Blindside is the true story of uh, Sean and Leanne Tui. I think that's how you say their last name. A white, very well-to-do family from the good side of town in Memphis, Tennessee, who take in 
a young black man, young black boy by the name of Michael Orr. He's just, I think, in middle school. He's homeless. His mother apparently is a, is a crack addict. His father, I'm not sure if he ever even knew his father. And he's basically living on the street, at least according to the story, as I understand, was, was pretty accurately portrayed. And, and they take this, this young man into their very nice home, in their very nice suburb, in their very nice Beamer, and they give him, they give him a, a, a home. It starts out, it's just, they give him a couch for the night because it's so cold outside, but it turns in, she, and there's this powerful scene where, where she, she says, this, this is for you. And she starts fixing the, the bed in this bedroom. They're, they're giving him a, his own bedroom. And I probably shouldn't tell you all this if you haven't seen the movie, should I? <laughs> and, uh, and she's just busy doing, fixing the bed and all stuff. And, and, he sa- and he's, lo- he's looking down. And he's looking down at the bed, and she does not paying attention. He, and he says, is this mine? And she says, yeah. He said, I never had one of these before. And she looks at him and said, what, a, a, a room of your own? And he said, a bed. And it's just, it's just this powerful scene. And, and when I was, I was thinking about that, I wonder how comfortable it was for the Tui family to reach out to this, to this kid who's got everything in the world going against him and bring him right into their home, right into their family. They actually adopted him. If you don't know the story, he went on to play football at Ole Miss and first-round draft pick in the NFL and all that. It's, just, it's, it's a great story. But I just wonder how comfortable it was in Memphis. Jesus wouldn't let his comfort uh, stop him. Here's a third thing. He, he wouldn't let his, his busyness couldn't stop him either. Verse 18 through 22, um, as the story picks up or keeps going, he says, while he was saying these things, uh, the synagogue official comes in. He says, hey, uh, my daughter's died. But I, I've, I've seen you, man. I, I've seen what you can do. She just died, um, and, but if you come and touch her, she'll live. Great faith of this guy uh, to make this statement. So Jesus heads out. I mean, the crowd. And now, um, Matthew doesn't say it so much, but Mark, I think Mark chapter 6, of course, Mark tells us that there's a huge crowd following Jesus. And why not? You know, he, he just made a, blind, uh, a paralyzed guy walk. He's heading down to raise a, a dead girl. This ought to be good. <laughs> And he's, of course, there's, of course, there's going to be these blind guys. They're out there too. And, there, and there's this guy that can't talk. And uh, there's all this stuff. There's all this stuff. There's all this ministry that Jesus is busy doing. And, and, and Mark tells us that in the midst of this crowd, this throng, and all this stuff, that this woman with this issue of blood comes up and touches Jesus on his garment. Matthew doesn't bring it out, but Mark brings out that it's this huge crowd and that when, when Jesus is touched, he, the, Mark says he feels the power come out of him, basically. He knows that something has happened, and he turns around and he says, who touched me? And the disciples, they're like, dude, who touched you? It's like wall-to-wall people in here. And he, he's, he's got so much to do, doesn't he? He's got so much to do. He is a busy man, but he's not too busy, is he? He's not too busy to stop and turn around, he had this conversation with this young lady who was now terrified. She knew what had happened, but she was scared to death when Jesus said, who touched me? And, and I can just see him, I can just see him. maybe she's falling to her knees. I can just see Jesus kind of getting down right at her level. And he says, my daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Man, I, I, we get so busy in life. Uh, Teresa Bays and I were talking about that out there. You know, I was telling you, a lot of times people... Uh, We'll, we'll say to them, well, we know you're busy or we don't want to bother you or whatever. Is there anybody in here not busy? Is there anybody in their life that's not? I, I think pretty much everybody is busy, aren't you? But are we too busy? Are we too busy to care? That's, I, I guess that's what I'm saying. Jesus didn't let his busyness, his busyness couldn't stop him. Don't let it stop us. 
and caring about people. And, and then one more idea that I want to share this morning, and then, then I'm going to give you some stuff. And we'll go. His enemy couldn't stop him either. Verse 32 through 35, we, he, he has another encounter. He's going on, he's ministry, 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 caring, 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 compassion, compassion, compassion. And he, and he comes up and, and he, he runs into, what is introduced to this man who the text says is mute. He can't speak. He's... he's uh, uh, Speaking impaired, however you want to say it, he cannot speak. And in this particular instance, not to say that every instance this is the reason, but in this particular instance, the reason apparently was because this man was demon-possessed. He, had, he was controlled or possessed by a demon. I'm sorry if that freaks you out, but it is a real event. It does occur. You read about it a lot more in Scripture, but I think that demon possession is still a real thing that occurs today. I've, I know that I've seen it in different parts of the world. So in this particular case, that's what it is. But that's not going to stop Jesus. No, the forces of hell are not going to stop Jesus from ministering to people. This, this, this man who's been robbed of his ability to speak, Jesus casts the demon out. And Listen, the same enemy that our Savior has is the enemy that you and I have. We have no strength or power or ability within ourselves to overcome him other than the fact that Christ dwells within us, and that's actually what we need. And all we need. But don't let your enemy. Can I tell you, boy, the enemy, dude, the enemy will discourage you, cause you to doubt, frustrate you, give, give you fear. Oh, I, I couldn't possibly reach out to that person, or I couldn't possibly do this thing. Or I, I, Don't let anything stop you. Jesus didn't let it stop him from doing ministry. Don't let it stop you from doing ministry. That's, that's really what I'm talking about this morning. And now comes to what I call, now what? Okay, what, what do we do? All right, all right, I need compassion. Yes, compassion, compassion, compassion. Don't let busyness, don't let the enemy, don't let all these things stop me. Now what? I, I want to, and I know I'm flying through this, and I know I'm just introducing this this morning. You'll hear more about this, I promise you, uh, as we go into 2010. But I, I want to kind of, I want to leave you this morning with a challenge. Uh, in fact, it is the 2010 Challenge of Seven, what I'm calling the 2010 Challenge of Seven, or what, I'll, what you'll hear me from now on probably just refer to as the Seven. And listen, let me just tell you, I know Seven. I can't get this Seven number out of my head, folks. I'm just, everything's Seven. I'm, I'm like, and I know why it is, because I've been studying the book of Revelation some in preparation for this series, and, and Seven is a very prominent number in the book of Revelation. It comes up over and over and over again. You'll, you'll learn about that if you, you come and 2010. Anyway, um, so I got this idea of seven. It's just in my mind, and, and there's a significance to the number of seven. You, you may or may not know this, but typologically, the number seven is, is what's referred to as God's number. It's the number of completion. Well, I, I want to I I issue the challenge of seven for 2010. I don't have them today, but you'll have them by the first of the year. Here, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to consider doing in your life. If you are going to care like God cares, what I want to ask you to do. First thing I want to say is this. I want you to put seven names on a list, or on a card. That, that we'll give you a card with, with seven blanks on it. Seven names of people that, as far as you know, are without a relationship with Jesus Christ. As far as you know. I mean, I, there's, there's not evidence in their life that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Seven names. Some of those you may say, well, I don't, I don't know that I can name seven people. But you know seven. You may know that, that there may be that neighbor that lives, you know, four houses down, but you're pretty sure <laughs> that, you, that, that there's, there's no indication that that person 
has anything going on with God. Or it might be a coworker. It might be some person just in a checkout aisle at the grocery store that you see a lot and, and, and you've tried to talk to them some, but there's just no, you don't see much there. You might look at her name on her badge, his name on a badge, or you might just write down checkout aisle person. Seven names. I'm asking you to put down seven names for 2010. Here's the second part of the challenge. Seven minutes in prayer per day. I didn't put per day, but per day. Seven minutes in prayer per day. <laughs> when, I, when I put that down, I, I thought y'all might be thinking, well, you don't think much of our prayer life, do you? Seven minutes, that's all you're asking for? Well, seven minutes might be an increase for some of us. I don't know. But what I'm asking for is seven minutes of prayer for those seven names. Seven minutes of prayer for those seven names. Every day in 2010. And here's, you know, your prayer comes out however it, wants, however it comes out. I don't have any written pr- prayer, that, model prayer that I want you to pray. But I would like for your prayer to include these items. I want you to pray. As you're praying to God, I would like to have these items in there. Number one, Lord, give me eyes to see them the way you see them. Ask God that in your prayer, in that seven minutes of praying for these people. Lord God, give me eyes to see them the way you see them. Do you ever stop and look at people? Because I'm telling you something, if you do, you'll see the hurt in their life. If you can ever slow down long enough in the busyness of our lives and the running here and there and, you know, running past the people that we work with and all that stuff, if you can just and just really look at people, you'll begin to learn things about them. Ask God to give you eyes to see them the way he sees them. Did you see it over and over again in this text and throughout Scripture? It says Jesus looked upon them. Jesus looked up and saw them. Jesus uh, uh, cast his eyes upon them. See them the way God sees them. Second part of the prayer that I'd like to have in there. God, give me ears to hear them the way you hear them. Because God hears their cries. He hears their hurts. He hears their sorrow. And we've already established that he cares Do I care? Ask God to give you ears to hear people the way he hears them. Some of you have probably heard me tell this story. I I told it uh, some time ago. Years ago, I was in in Tennessee, and I was uh, serving on staff at a church and um, doing youth ministry, and and we had a 15-passenger van. Uh, You know, in those days, you couldn't do youth ministry without a 15-passenger van. (laughs) So, uh, in Tennessee, I don't know if it's that way in North Carolina, but in Tennessee, you had to have a, a special addition to your driver's license to drive a 15-passenger van. So, I had to go down and get this, this addition to my driver's license. So, I go down there, and uh, how many know that DMV people are the happiest people in the world? Right? <laughs> right? Dude, I, I hope they get paid a lot. I really do, because they sure don't like their jobs. <laughs> At least it appears that way. So, um, and so I'm waiting and, you know, doing the line thing, waiting all this time and stuff. And so finally it's my turn. You have to go out and take a driver test. And, and I got, you know, the van's down there and I got to, got to take this driving test with this lady. And, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And just before I get ready to go out, this, the lady that's going to go out with me and some other lady get into this heated, kind of, you know, it was, <laughs> it, I mean, they're, they're right there in the, stu- in the office and everything. And it's like, and so, you know, great. Now I get Miss Happy. And, uh, and so she, you know, she's just, you know, going out and we're getting in the van and, and listen, just listen to him. Just listen. Because what you'll discover is whatever it is you're seeing right there, that's just the tip of the iceberg, what's going on in their life. And this lady, she's all, and I'm just, 
just being, you know, just trying to be nice. I said, oh, yeah, sorry. She said, oh, yeah, I got to hear all that. I don't know why she, it's her turn. I'm supposed to take a break. And I was, and I said, yeah, it's, and I'm sorry. That's too, I'm just, I'm just talking just enough to kind of, you know, and she's, just listen, just listen. And so we go out, we go to the driving thing, and she makes it real short. I mean, I didn't have to, like, parallel park or anything. I just, you know, once around the cones and said, okay, pull, pull right in here. Pull in. And we just, you know, we come to a stop, put it in park, and she's just sitting there. She doesn't move. So I ain't moving. She didn't move. I ain't moving. I'm just sitting there, you know. And finally she says, I'm sorry you had to hear all that, but, and this lady just comes gushing out, bawling, crying, just hysterical, which made me a little uncomfortable, got to tell you. <laughs> you know, I'm just sitting there holding the wheel tightly. I mean, just, and she just starts pouring about, out about her. She's in the midst of a divorce, and her, her husband is running around on her, and, and she doesn't know how she's going to get her kids in, whatever all it was, and just, just, just pour, just gushing out of her, gushing. Have you seen that in a person's life? Have you seen them gush out the, the yuckiness of life? It just came pouring out of her. Listen, do you know God hears that in our life? Every single day, if you and I would just slow down long enough to hear them the way God hears them. I'm telling you, I think it would change the way we approach them. Which is the last, the last idea uh, of this prayer thing is connected to all of that. And it's just to say, God, give me a heart to care about them the way you care about them. Because oh, how he cares about them. Enough to intercede in their lives to bring physical healing where, where he came into contact with them, but ultimately to go to a cross and pay for the greatest need in every one of our lives, to pray, pay for their sins and our sins, that we might have a relationship with him, that we might be redeemed from the brokenness and sinfulness of our lives. Ask God. Seven minutes in prayer for seven names and ask God in that, in that prayer, God, help me see them today as I go out into my world. Help me see them the way you see them in their hurts and their pain and their suffering. Help me to hear their lives the way you hear their lives. God, make my heart ache for them the way you ache for them. Ask him. I triple dog dare you to ask him because he'll do it. He'll put it on your heart. Seven names on a list. Seven minutes in prayer. And then one more, seven personal invites per week. Listen, I want you to touch their lives, impact their lives in whatever way you can, but I'm asking you to make a commitment in 2010 to say, I'm going to try my best to make seven personal invites per week for 52 weeks. You won't make it every week. We'll, we'll celebrate every time one of us hits seven. My brother Ernie and I were talking yesterday after our Love Your Neighbor project thing. And uh, we, we gave a card. I was out of cards, and Ernie ran out to his card to get a card, gave a card to the, to the guy in Arby's. And then Cindy told me she went through the drive-thru to take food home and gave one to the, the, the guy in there. I, hope, I think it was a different guy. But Anyway, I told Ernie. He said, he said well, does that make seven for you? And I said, no. And he said, I, I said, it's been a bad week. I, don't, I, I said, that, that's definitely not seven for me. So you won't make it. I know that. But if you aim at seven and you hit four, will that be four more than you would have given out? And when I say personal invites, if, hey, listen, if it's, ask your neighbor every day if you can. I, I know they're hard. Man, my neighbors are hard to catch up with. I, I remember, I've got to quit, but I, I remember this guy. I went to a funeral one time. I was serving on staff at a church in Atlanta, and uh, this elderly man died. And um, uh, at the funeral, the, 
this guy who was a member of the church said, that man, he pointed to, you know, to him in the casket, he said, that man is the reason I'm in church today. It's the reason I'm saved. And I said, how's that? He said, he lived next door to me. Listen to this now. He said, he came over to my house or called me every Saturday night. You'll have to forgive me. I, I can't remember. He either said for seven years or nine years. It was somewhere, I can't remember, but I think it was seven. He came over to my house or called me every Saturday for seven years. And he said, in this one day, I finally decided, well, I think I'll go. <laughs> seven names on a list, seven minutes in prayer, seven invites per week. That means you got to take the cards with you. you got to keep them with you. That means you got to reach out and get out of your comfort zone. God cares. He really does. Do I care? The Call of Compassion. God cares. Do I? Followers of Jesus should care about those around us. As Pastor Clay said today, we need to see people the way God sees them, hear them the way God hears them, and care about them the way that God cares about them. If we do, we'll find ourselves extending God's love to those around us in ways that will have a great impact for the kingdom of God and in ways that will change their lives. It's the Christmas season and a great time to visit Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh. We invite you to join us for our weekly cross-culture worship with upbeat Christ-centered music and timely encouraging biblical messages celebrating the goodness of our God and what it means to be in a relationship with Him. Cross Culture Church meets Sunday mornings at 1030 in the auditorium at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture, you'll find a community of believers with the desire to be used by God to show that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.